was like, I can't believe you got to do this thing. It's so, it would be so good for you to have that opportunity to just let go in that way. And to be out there also as a 50-plus woman getting to be sexy and fully in her own body and her own sexuality. You're listening to Skip Intro with me, Krista Smith. Yesterday, the popular British coming-of-age comedy, Sex Education, released its fourth and final season on Netflix. In celebration of its conclusion, I am bringing back my 2020 interview with the incredible Gillian Anderson. She plays Jean Milburn, a sex therapist and mom to the show's young lead, Otis. At the time of our conversation, Gillian had wrapped up the second season of Sex Education. Since our conversation, Gillian went on to win an Emmy and a Golden Globe for her portrayal of Margaret Thatcher in The Crown's fourth season, starred in The Pale Blue Eye alongside Christian Bale, and announced an upcoming book which will chronicle the intimate lives of women from around the world. Plus, she launched her own beverage, G-Spot. In this episode, she talks about challenging gender disparity, how motherhood helped keep the uber-success of The X-Files in perspective, and her thoughts on the impact of social media. I'm so excited to be sitting here today with Jillian Anderson. It is great to see you. Thank it's you for coming in. It's great to see you, too. Thank you for having me. Do people call you Jillian or do people call you Jill or what's your Family nickname? Family calls me Jill. So whenever anybody else calls me Jill, I look at them like, I'm sorry. That's, you know, it feels very intimate. Mm-hmm. So Jillian, Jill, Jillian. And yeah. I like the, the your fully English accent now, right? Well, at the present moment, I'm talking to you with an American accent, aren't I? Kind of, yeah, you are. Yeah? Yeah. I like that, that you flip back and forth all the time. Yeah, it's uh, most of the time I can't help it, and sometimes it's conscious because I realize that people will freak out, and so I consciously shift into one or the other. Mm-hmm. But it was my first, I mean... British was my first language, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And you're British, obviously, in sex education, which yeah. is such a fun show and such a delicious part for you. Yeah. Uh, it looks like you're having a ball doing it, so I assume that you are. Yes, we are all having a ball doing it. But that's not always the case. I mean, sometimes yeah. you can be doing comedy and the set is not funny at all. So... This is fun. What was it about doing the show that made you want to play Jean? Obviously, you play the sex therapist, and you get to say a lot of words like penis and vagina and masturbation constantly Yes, <laughs> uh, to the mortification of your 16-year-old son. Yes. But what was it? Well, that, that was made... mostly what it was. That's, was that's it? Mostly what, no, no. I think, well, mostly what it was is, is, uh, is doing comedy, is, is getting the chance to do comedy. Because a lot of people don't, necessarily think of the comedic X-Files episodes that we did when they think of the X-Files, but but probably a quarter of them were comedic, and and um, Scully and Mulder got to be funny. Um, but, you know, but aside from that, I, I haven't had much opportunity. It's not how people think of me. I don't get mm-hmm. offered a lot of comedy. And so... Um, that was probably what it was first and foremost, why I wanted to like it when I was reading it and um, um, because I wanted it to work out. And in fact, it did. I, 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 uh, I liked 
um, what I was reading. It was funny because I, when I first started reading it, I had kind of put it aside. I'd got the offer. I'd started to read it. And I thought, is that really? I know it's comedy. I really want to do comedy, but I'm not sure if that's entirely my world and blah, 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 and feeling it was quite broad. And and then my partner uh, heard that um, one of the Netflix execs that does The Crown, his show, was behind it and thought, hang on, if she's if she's so strongly behind it, then it's it's got to be good because she kind of knows what she's talking about. Mm-hmm. So he read it and he was like, I can't believe you got to do this thing. It's so It would be so good for you to have that opportunity to just let go in that way and um, and to be out there also as a 50-plus woman getting to be sexy and fully in her own body and her own sexuality, mm-hmm. etc. So... Um, at that point, I reread it, and then I couldn't put it down. I just, you know, <laughs> page after page. And it's great because she gets to have a lot of sex. She talks about sex, but she also gets to... <laughs> she does. I mean, you don't actually see her having that no. much sex, but but she does talk about you. You, you see the aftermath. <laughs> yeah. I appreciated that. Yeah. How's it working with all these kids? Well, you know, first season... I didn't have that many kids to work with. It was mostly just Otis and I in the house and uh, every once in a while, um, Eric uh, coming around. Um, this season, there's... Uh, uh, I'm, the, I'm, I'm smack in the middle of all the kids. Um, and that's been great. I mean, it's, it's like a conveyor belt. As the kids come through, mm-hmm. you know, Jean is now has a temporary job. Um, assessing the um, state of the sex education classes in Otis's school. And um, um, and so she's trying to find out from the students uh, what they think of their sex ed, mm-hmm. what they want from their sex ed. But also, she's also taking questions and, you know, secretly giving advice here and there. And mm-hmm. so... Um, there's a lot of uh, funny moments along the way as these kids come in and say things that even she is shocked by, which must be something. Mm-hmm. Well, the the cast is excellent. I have to say, mm. commend the casting uh, agent who did that. I mm. think it's like so many young, talented faces. Well, Shudi, um, who plays Eric, had only ever done stage a bit of like musical theater or something mm-hmm. before had never been in front of the camera and he's so bold and brave and and spontaneous um that's really fantastic mm-hmm. to watch and and really you know properly comes into his own mm-hmm. in the second season and um you know, you forget these kids are playing high school students, but they're actually all their twenties. Yeah. Some yeah. of them are close to thirty. Yeah. And so um you know they've got they've got that is funny, right? Right now, right. So Asa is such a sweet, sweet. Um, I, he's 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 a kid, but he's not a kid. You know, he's a young adult, and um, we got very, very lucky with our um, uh, with our chemistry, and you know, we look like we make sense as mother son. Mm-hmm. I'm just surprised that so many kids are having so much sex because I forget mm-hmm. now that I'm removed from high school, but I've got two pre like 
preteens, teens, yeah, you know, eleven and thirteen, and That's I'm what like, I've got eleven, I, thirteen, and um, twenty five, but eleven and thirteen, right? I'm like, oh my god, yeah. what am I in for? Is this really what's happening? Yeah. How has the response been um, in London specifically for for this show? Do people talk about it a lot? And uh, well, they certainly did when the first season um, dropped, and I, I guess part of what I was uh, surprised by was how many people my age were watching, you know, separate from, I mean, forget the ones that were actually watching with their teenagers, which I'd never be able to do. But, you know, the ones who were watching it, you know, on their own accord and enjoying it and getting through the whole thing, for whatever reason, the entertainment of it or or nostalgia, <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know. But um, it seemed to have a pretty wide appeal and... Um, uh, I, I was surprised by that. I was. And when it dropped, I had just started rehearsal for a play. Mm-hmm. And usually when I'm rehearsing, I take public transportation, which I normally don't do. But it's just easier if you're going to the same place rehearsal every week and you get on the bus and it's easy and blah, 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 and it feels responsible rather than driving, you know. But I chose the wrong week to start doing that because there were posters all over the British underground. There were oh it. I I wasn't able to do it this time. I had to actually stop. Wow. And it had been, you know, since. I mean, I'm I'm usually I go through stages of recognizability. Mm-hmm. It's a daily. It's like a day will happen when everybody on the street, and a day will, and weeks will happen where nobody does. You know, and I I don't really pay attention to it. But after this show, it's it's definitely um, been to the levels of what it was when, uh, you know, in the olden days. In the 90s. In the 90s, <laughs> which I, I haven't experienced. You know, a lot of the things that I've also chosen to do. I, I developed a series in the U.K., which I didn't end up doing. But when we would meet with all the companies that were interested in, in buying it, I kept saying, how about we don't promote it? Let's let's like not like no posters on buses, no nothing. I just don't. I want to still be able to take the train out to the countryside without people mm-hmm. bothering. I don't want that in my life anymore because I had it quite young. Mm-hmm. And they were like, "What are you talking about? You're That's one of the producers. Funny. You can't ask us not to promote." But that would be my preference: is to live in a bubble. But this is great. It's uh, you know, and great for all these young. These young talents. Mm-hmm. You've been very successful, I should say, to all our listeners that in in theater, um, really for the half decade, decade, you've been doing mm. amazing stuff. I mean, I only I don't only actually do theater uh, once every uh, three or four years, um, and and always in the UK. I haven't um, gone back to Broadway, but. Um, you know, it, it, the stuff that I've been doing in the UK since X Files stop. Um, brought its own level of attention, whether it was The Fall or, you know, John mm-hmm. English or Shadow or any of the things that I had, the Dickens stuff that I had done. Um, and But this is, you know, doing something on Netflix is a different thing mm-hmm. when it's one of their top um, shows. And, and I, I don't know if I had entirely thought that through. Uh, and I, I certainly wouldn't change it, but um, it is a different way to 
to live. I've, I forgot the levels of paranoia that one can get into <laughs> when one is out and about, which yeah. I yeah have been free from for a while. Well, let's talk about the 90s a little bit. Okay. Because... Speaking uh, of paranoia. Speaking of paranoia and, and uh, whatnot. I mean, that's right when I essentially moved to Los Angeles mm-hmm. from New York um, when you were cast in X-Files. Yep. And it's just such an interesting story in retrospect. I'm sure living in it in the moment, it wasn't. But looking back on it, it's really... Uh, it is really fascinating to me that you were this British, you know, you lived in London essentially until you were 11 and you moved to the middle of nowhere in Michigan in the mid in the heart of the Midwest and have to fit in and figure out who you are. Uh, how did it come about for you to choose acting? Like what was the thing that made sense to you at that time in your life that you're like, oh, I can do this and I want to do this? I don't know. We'd moved. We'd made the move from London to to Grand Rapids, which was always going to be temporary. You know, I even though my parents were Yanks, I was I felt British, and um, and we still had a flat in the UK, and so we were. All, this was going to be a temporary move to to Midwest America, but at some point, for some reason, I decided to audition for a community play, a community uh, production of Alice in Wonderland. And, you know, I'd done, as a kid in the UK, I'd I'd done bit things in the mm-hmm. Christmas special and all that kind of stuff or whatever, but I don't think I'd ever expressed that much interest in it. And I don't know what propelled me to go for this audition. And when I got there, you know, it was Alice in Wonderland. It was the community theater. It was a big <laughs> civic theater. Mm-hmm. There were 250 girls my age who could sing and dance. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, their dream was to do theater. And um, and I hadn't done anything. That hadn't even occurred to me. And I didn't get it. Um, and so I gave up. I thought, oh, well, then I'm not meant to do this. But then a few years later, when I was, I think, maybe 14, that was probably 11, that was shortly after we moved there, so that was probably 12. Around 14, I decided to take uh, an acting class at, still again, don't know why this Mm -hmm. idea was floating around in my head, an acting class at the the same community theater. They offered acting classes. And it so happened that the, the guy who was holding these classes was British, um, and had been the director of Alice in Wonderland. Mm. And so when I showed up in his class, it was like week two or three. Um, I'd now been in high school for two years, had lost my accent, was now speaking with an American accent. And he suddenly said to me, wait, did you audition for Alice in Wonderland? And did you have a British accent? And I said, I said yes, that that was me. And he said, we wanted to cast you, but you'd never done anything. You'd wow. done absolutely nothing. We couldn't. This was our, this was our big summer show. We couldn't give it to a complete unknown, but we wanted to cast you. And and I and that 
encouragement, that knowledge, that, you know, the idea that there was something in there mm-hmm. that maybe was um, good or watchable or had a chance uh, helped me to pursue it and, and keep going. Mm-hmm. And you did. And, and I you, did. And you did that. I just love the – it is the story that, that keeps every actor breathing, I think, and in, in, especially in Los Angeles, like coming here and the grueling auditions. And then you just – one of those grueling auditions happens to be yeah. for Scully on yeah. X-Files. Yeah. It is incredible. I mean, from my purview, it – it was like a new kind of role model, which mm-hmm. I loved about it. It was like this female. She was smart. She was tough. She was practical. She, you know, was equal with the guy. And obviously the sci-fi had a huge, you know, a huge draw for people. But it was also, yeah. even if you weren't, you really related to the chemistry of these yeah. characters and their intelligence and sex appeal and whatnot. And I was reading about uh, when I knew I was going to see you, I was reading about that time because I was like, oh, my God, I remember this. And I saw this great picture on your Instagram from the Vanity Fair Oscar party. And I was like, I remember that moment. You were it was like comparing um, it was something like invention and necessity of the thong oh, between right, right, you right, right, and you. Yeah. Uh, Haley uh, Bieber, which I never thought I would see, but I thought that was a very funny, clever post. (laughs) And it just reminded me at that time, like, how powerful you were and how important that part was. Mm -hmm. And then to read, like, initially you were always told to sit, you know, stand behind David and and slowly but surely you're like, fuck that. I'm sitting next to him. And... Demanding equal pay as the series went on and demanding that equal time and that you were really doing that in the dark. Mm. And mm. none of us knew about it. Obviously, the media yeah. wasn't aware about it. Yeah. It wasn't a conversation no. then. Mm-hmm. No one even thought about it. Mm-mm. Can you talk to me a little bit about that time? Were you conscious of that? or? Uh, well, yeah, I was definitely conscious of it. I mean, I guess it started to hit me, my consciousness, around the third season. Um you know, at first he had just come off of um, California movie mm-hmm. with, uh, was it Angelina Jolie? No, nope, ready. Know, it's Brad Pitt, Pitt Brad and Pitt. Juliette Lewis. Yes, Juliette Lewis. That's yeah. right. And so was, you know, wanting to and expecting to do features and felt like he was really, you know, stepping outside of that game to do lowly television. Mm-hmm. And, you know, rightly so at the time, you know, the films were king. And, um, and so... His financial deal for the series was a financial deal for a movie star, Mm -hmm. and mine was a nobody. And so it made sense. Three years in, where we're doing equal amount of work, and we are, um, and it is really, the show is centered around a duo, um, it didn't make sense anymore. And you became... Just as famous as he was, if not more, almost, because you were the discovery mm. and your look and the, the you were doing a thing that no one had ever seen a woman do, too. Yeah. And so that was the point that we started to go back to renegotiate and had never really got equal, but pretty much they always kept it just a little bit off or presented him with other stuff that couldn't be, you know, you know extras and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Anyway. That's what it is. But I guess part one of the big moments was 
when we were going to do the first film. Mm-hmm. And he was offered multiple seven figures or whatever. And I was offered, I mean, I, I can't even remember what it was. It was like five million to a hundred thousand or something. So <laughs> yeah. ridiculous. You can't even fucking yeah. believe that. And, uh, and I asked to have lunch with Peter Chernin at Fox and sat down with him as a, whatever that was, 28-year-old or whatever. And after that lunch, he said, she's 50-50. I don't know what it was that I said. I don't know what, how, what, you know. But that was a, that was a big moment. Obviously, it, it made a huge impact on, on my life. But from that point on, it felt like, well, there's no, there was no going back from expecting that. Mm-hmm. You know, um, cut to... And, you know, I'm only bringing this up because it's interesting what people try and get away with, not because I still uh, necessarily have issue with it. But, you know, over the last five years, we went back and did a couple of uh, extra seasons in mm-hmm. 2015 and 16 or something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, and Fox tried it again. The same disparity between the two of us. And I... I mean, what? It's so weird. It's so, it's it's seemingly so unconscious. Right. And so, I mean, forget insulting and forget um, stupid. (laughs) I mean, it was just, none of us could believe that there would be the audacity. And it was Mm -hmm. still the same people. It's not like, you know, Mm -hmm. they... They they weren't sent the memo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was still the same group of people. So uh, so that was another moment. And I decided at that point actually to not, no longer be in the dark about that. Mm-hmm. You know, in real time, discussing it. I mean, you know, we, we'd actually done the deal and we'd started filming. But when we started to do press and somebody asked the question about the olden days, I was like, well, actually, yeah. guess what? It's It's not the olden days. Or mm-hmm. it, it, you know, some people think it's the olden days, but that doesn't fly anymore. Yeah. No. Now it's a now it's topic of conversation. Yeah. yeah. What was one of the most challenging things at that twenty four to navigate that kind of fame? Like it was felt almost overnight. Honestly, when you're coming into someone's television small screen, obviously in your living room, people feel you're part of their lives, and it was a different time in terms of how we watch mm. things, right? It was mm. much yeah. more limited. And I yeah. love the way X-Files always had the latest, the cell phone, <laughs> yeah. electronic yeah. mail. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we forget, the right? Internet. We lived through that, so we know that that <laughs> yeah. was a big deal. Yeah. But how, what was that yeah. like for you? Well, on the one hand, we were protected to a degree because we were shooting up in Vancouver, which mm-hmm. was a huge blessing. Um. You know, we still came down to the States. Both David and I ended up in Malibu <laughs> um, and and couldn't be out and about without paparazzi. Um, but also, I had a child, you know, a year. In right. the first season, I got pregnant, right. which in retrospect is like, God, that was really like, what were you thinking? Which is what they were saying. You know, mm-hmm. everybody was quite furious. Um, 
and I get it now as an adult, but at the same time, it happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, and but she kept me sane. You know, the responsibility of, of being a parent and having to strike that balance when you're doing 17-hour days, nine months a year, um, with having a child who essentially grew up in my trailer. Um, it, 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 even if sometimes I didn't feel grounded, I felt like sometimes I was losing my mind, uh, between the hormones and the lack of sleep and the press and the amount of press that we were, you know, every weekend we did photo shoots and blah, blah, blah. Um, she did, you know, the, the ha- having to show up as a parent and wanting to because of the love that I felt for her. And, um, you know, she really kept me grounded to the point that I would come to L.A. to do press around Globes or, you know, periods of time when I was being nominated, etc. And I hated, I ha- I hated, you know, what, what she and I had and the small life of just going to work and, you know, mm-hmm. it, it was quite small. Um, everything else felt so false and ridiculous and and cheap and and nonsensical. And so having that perspective of the business rather than being in awe of it and um, thinking, I have to be at this party, I want to be this, and I want to be the coolest, and who am I wearing? And, you know, being caught up in that um, saved me, you know, being caught up in nappies and feed and, and breastfeeding mm-hmm. saved me from... Um, from getting lost and um yeah yeah it's got to be so and even now it's worse it's like you think of it but people don't really understand that when you are on one of those uh television shows and it is a full commitment i mean like you said it's 17 hours and sometimes you're shooting nights and so your days are flip up so you really are living and breathing and working in this cocoon yeah and yeah. there's this whole other world happening outside of yeah. your trailer, obviously, and outside of. Well, it's I mean, it's extraordinary right now with with sex education. Even though what do we shoot? We shoot. I don't because I block shoot, but mm-hmm. the kids who were in most of or the bulk of the stories shoot between May and the end of August. Um, you know, we were in X Files, and that's eight episodes. We did 24 episodes in nine months, which when I tell people these days, they just, they cannot believe it. You know, The Crown, 10 episodes in eight months. It's like 24? Yeah. That used to be the regular, wasn't 22 on the air? That used to be the regular. That used to be what it was like. I remember, I don't know how many seasons in we were. No, I think it was third season. There was an actor who was in his fourth of eight days with us. And he was the guest lead, and he came in, and he's and he said, "You guys do this every day," and we were like, "Yeah." Doesn't everybody? He's like, "No, no, everybody doesn't. You're a two-hander. There's two smartest characters on television. You go home and memorize pages of dialogue, and you work seventeen-hour days, and you have a baby." Mm-hmm. Um, 
Well, I didn't know. We had no perspective. <laughs> there was nothing to. Well, you were starting it to. out in your career yeah. as a first television. I do anything. Right? I you know yeah. I do anything anybody told me to do. Yeah. It was my last. You know, I I got my last unemployment check the same week that I got cast. So I was you know. Anyway, but you know, speaking about social media, these kids on sex ed, sex education drops, and within a week. A couple of them have a million followers. Mm -hmm. What does that do to your head? Yeah. And what that means in terms of the degree of self-obsession that it requires Mm -hmm. of you to keep those followers happy. Mm -hmm. To maintain it. Yeah. And to not not take it personally (laughs) when you're commented on. Or, I mean, I never read. I don't read comments. I don't have it on my phone. I don't blah, blah, blah. Um... And or when you're dropped, when followers drop you or whatever, mm-hmm. or, you know, the desperation to mm-hmm. add more. That's not part of my life, but I see it. Mm-hmm. And it, that's a certain hell. Mm-hmm. And you can't. It's all brand new. So it's not even yeah. like you can give advice about it because it's not like, well, let me tell you, this is how I handled yeah. it. Yeah. This is a whole new frontier. We don't even know It is. The and any time I open my mouth and... about about how... You know, how toxic it is to have your brain constantly in things like Instagram mm-hmm. and likes and et cetera, et cetera. You know, people who are part of that world and part of that generation who live by it, get their news by it, get everything by it, will say, you can't say that. You don't know. Mm-hmm. How can you? You don't, you don't know. This is It's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing that's going on because they're informed. They're active. They know what's going on. They communicate. They're, you know... That's the perspective. Right. What do we know? What do we know? What do we know? We're ancient. (laughs) You also are beyond impressive. Like, I thought I was a multitasker. I look at your dossier and the stuff that you've been involved in and the amount of philanthropy that you do globally and at home, I should say in London, at home, uh, is extraordinary. I mean, it's the focus and the energy to do that is a lot. I have to put a disclaimer in there, okay? Which because the stuff that I do on the whole is armchair philanthropy. Mm-hmm. You know, there are people who are on the ground, you know, who are who are out there in the field, getting their hands dirty, and I, I do do a lot. I raise money and I draw attention to things and I from time to time gather up the courage to speak publicly about something or go to parliament mm-hmm. or whatever it is most of the time that's not what i do but there are people who do that who deserve a lot of credit uh i have been trying to every every few months i think I've got to get more. I've got to put time aside and get more active. I've got to travel. I've got to get on the Greenpeace um, boat. I've got to mm-hmm. put, you know, I've got to do these things and actually be um, and and not do it from a comfortable position, but actually um, be uncomfortable. And I have not done that yet. And so I don't feel... I will, and I know I will, and it's a desire, but I, I, it feels a little disingenuous mm-hmm. for me to accept 
attention for all the work that I do when I feel like it's it's yes I do but actually I get that yeah, I get that yeah. but but you're conscious of it and yeah. you're doing what you I, can I'm, do yeah. from the armchair which is very important to allow those other people to go out Thank and you. and be in the field Thank you. um you've also written books mm-hmm. uh you're also an art collector yeah. which I like too that was very interesting like one of your first paychecks you you bought a piece of art which I think is so wildly sexy and fantastic mm. that you would do that at such a young age, too. Mm. Um, obviously, you have kids. Yeah. You uh, are in it. You're in the thick of it. You have a very... I love, Instagram is hilarious because I want to know the yoni and the and the penis are... Like, do people send that to you? Do yeah. you find it? Like, yeah. it's incredible. Most of the time, people send it. It's very rare that I find um, penis art in nature or something, but most of the time, it's... Um, people who send stuff to me and I will repost it and draw attention to it with Mm -hmm. a quip of some kind. (laughs) Um, Yes, they're very generous out there with their uh, images. And some of them are extraordinary. I mean, one of my favorites, well, there's two favorites that I have. One was a poodle that was, I don't know if you ever saw that one, but sitting against the window, it just, you know, looked like a giant furry penis. (laughs) Um, And the other was this, I don't even know what city these um it was light coming through a lattice on a bridge. That was incredible. Wasn't that incredible? I was thought I actually thought that was fake. It was just like a <laughs> no, ro- a I rose of penises yeah. like a mile long and you're I like don't Wait, know whether what? they realized it. It's probably from like 1812, <laughs> you know. Oh my god, sex yeah. education it's made such a it's funny it really is in the in the zeitgeist yeah. you know it's one of those things like i guess sex never gets old obviously <laughs> Let's um, hope not. but what i love about the show is every everything is represented mm. and i love the taking on the slut shaming and the female shaming and that yeah. one particular episode where they all you know a piece of pornographic uh material was texted through the school and i love that all the women stood up and all the girls guys, yeah but then also some guys <laughs> yeah, and the guys yes, started standing yeah. up and i really okay. thought i was like wow that is addressing a really an important issue mm. and i love the way they dealt with it it's not just all about teenagers having sex and yeah. worrying about various dysfunctions or, yeah. or not. I, I, and also, you know, the the advice that Otis gives is really good advice, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I, I find it very moving, the advice that he gives, because there's so much heart in it. Mm-hmm. And there's so much forgiveness. And, you know, he's he's he talks so much about communication which is mm-hmm. everything you know and i don't think that communication is actually taught that much i mean forget in you know just in sex ed classes but you know in terms of how to process conflict and mis- misunderstanding and mm-hmm. and not get stuck in Resentment upon resentment upon mm-hmm. resentment upon resentment, mm-hmm. which can really destroy people and friendships and love and, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I, I feel like there is some pretty, in that sense, there are some psychologically important um, milestones almost that the show is um, 
uh, crossing. Well, you had mentioned your partner earlier, and that is Peter Morgan, mm-hmm. who uh, is the creator and writer of The Crown. So he's very busy. He's very busy. <laughs> yes, he's a busy man. Uh, very prolific. Mm-hmm. And it has been announced that you're playing Thatcher. Yep. And I think that there is one, there was one image, I don't know if it was real or not, of you, potentially what you would look like and whatnot. But I'm very curious as, as a um, highly curious, as you are, an involved woman mm. and living both in the States and in London, mm. you know, for a large part of your life. I know now you're pro- predominantly in London, obviously. We knew Thatcher. I only knew her as a kind of image, you know, the voice, the kind of walk, the hair, and all of that. Um, For you as an actor, how are you approaching this? How are you getting into her? I know I'm not going to ask plot points and all that, because I know there will be like a drone flying above (laughs) us that will take out our uh, electricity or something. But uh, just from a... From a craft perspective, mm. you know, how do you get into it? Do you start with the research? Do you start with the voice? What, what do you do? Um, well, for me, it start. I started with watching, watching and reading everything I could. Um, there's a lot of material out there, mm-hmm. you know, and because we're dealing with the, um, you know, we're dealing with contemporary times, and um, there's a lot of uh, a lot of footage of her at various stages of her political career, and where we find her in the series is, you know, when she first gets elected, and then when we leave her is the last episode involves, um, uh, amongst other stories. Um, when she uh, is ousted um, from number 10 after being in there for 11 years. And so for me, the research was absorbing as much stuff as I could. Um, I knew her voice. I worked on her voice a lot in private, um, listening on my headphones um, over and over and over and speaking out loud when nobody else could hear um, and knew that at the point that, uh, you know, and started to work with the movement person as we were getting closer to filming um, and knew that there would, you know, be a day where all of those would need to come together and be released in a sense. Um, we we had a read-through of the entire fourth season at some point where um, I I wasn't quite ready yet, but she showed up in some of the, you know, in Mm -hmm. some of the um, scenes. And she's, because people are so, have have so many strong feelings about her, the, the, the best way in seemed to be from the beginning to find, also knowing that oh, through the whole season, which is August through March, unlike other things, I usually try to block shoot the work that I'm doing, so I'm just singularly focused. What Helena Bonham Carter refers to as helicopter acting, where you come in, you get <laughs> drop in, you do your work, you yeah. come out, you drop in, um, was to find something that was enough of a balance between her and me that it could feel sustainable and also not veer into um, parody, you know, into Mm -hmm. something comical. Um, And so where did that sit 
both vocally and physically. Um, but also the show is first and foremost about the crown mm-hmm. and the prime ministers who come in are tertiary stories. And, um, and so there's also reckoning uh, or reconciling with that when you've done so much research and then all of a sudden you're like, well, wait, it's just that sliver and that sliver and that sliver and what about, you know? And, and accepting that, okay, okay, that's what this is. This is, we are servicing, you know, this family. We are servicing mm-hmm. this story. We are servicing Peter's version of this story and these people and, and how he wants to, mm-hmm. um, wants us to see them and what he feels is important. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, which then influences it and the performance yet again. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she was so polarizing, and it's fascinating stuff. Is there something that you learned that you didn't know or that shocked you? Oh, my God, I, there's so much that I learned uh, and continued to learn about her. So much of who she is was stems from her childhood and to her father being an alderman and that they were Methodists and they were very, you know, Religion was a big part of of their daily, you know, and the fact that she worked in the sh- their family shop with them, and she, you know, she was a grafter, and um, but also was, you know, learned how to make a home and how to iron and how to do the things that women did for their husbands, and you know, she's, um, but her, so much of her personality, you can see already in the pictures of her when she was standing next to her, her father while he was speaking. Mm-hmm. And she's so self-contained. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the moment that she found the conservative party while she was in college was that she found a voice. She found mm-hmm. that place where she could express what was already mm-hmm. percolating inside of her. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's easy as an actor to, um, to, to get into who she was. She had big impact on a lot of people, mm-hmm. and a lot of people are still very angry with her. Well, I cannot wait to see you play her. I can't wait for the the crown is so great. I mean, it's so fun and amazing and informative and moving. Mm-hmm. It's such a good series. Mm-hmm. Um, and what fun to play Thatcher. Yeah, a lot of fun. Well, it's great to sit down and talk with you. My pleasure as well. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Krista Smith, your host and creator of the show. Skip Intro is produced and edited by Isabel Arricchio and engineered by Dave Corwin. Special thanks to our coordinator, Alyssa Hillman. Please subscribe, rate, and review Skip Intro wherever you've been listening. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. If you enjoy the podcast, please go to NetflixQ.com for more. That's NetflixQueUE.com. 